What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with Brant Pinvidic, former reality show executive extraordinaire, former reality show producer, pitchman, and now turned author. He is now a motivational speaker. He advises clients on the outside how to tell a story, how to brand themselves, how to pitch how to deliver in a boardroom. He took all of his skills from his reality show background and now applies it uh, to the business space as a gun for hire. I was really excited to get Brant on the show because this is my first time interviewing somebody who is essentially a reality business defector. He was one of us. He was a producer going to the real screens. He was a TLC head of development at one point, taking all the pitch meetings, working in the corporate life. And now he's on the outside looking in. I thought it was an incredible uh, conversation to have, great perspective, and it was my first time meeting him, as you're about to find out. This is my sit-down with Brant Pinvidic. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so we're here at the all three offices in our uh, temporary space here while we're under construction. And I'm sitting with a guy whose name I've heard mentioned so many times over the years. We've been in all the same rooms. This is literally our first time meeting. Brant Pinvidic. Yeah, buddy. Welcome to the show, man. I know. It's been a while, right? Like, I know you. I know you for years. I just don't know you. I've never actually had a real conversation with you, which is kind of crazy. It's kind of, we've always just been passing each other. I get all the same conferences. We know all the same people. We have all the same friends. And nobody would ever ask like, oh, do you want me to like introduce you to Jimmy? You want to meet Brant? Like no one would even suggest that because of course we know each other from all of these years. So it's kind of a weird, one of those weird relationships. And, you know, I should tell people how this came to be. You know, we're recording very quickly after you emailed me. Yeah. Uh, You emailed me just last week. I was on set. And out of the blue, you emailed me. Turns out you've got a book coming out, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And I was sitting in a control room with um, somebody you know very well, Mike Duffy, who I was just doing a show with. And I'm like, hey, Bram Pinvidic just emailed me and thought it'd be cool if we like got on the, the podcast together. Like, what do you think? Because I've never met you. Yeah. And Mike was like, do it. Do it. Brant's great. He's incredible. He's going to be a great storyteller. you got to get him on the show. And I was like, done. Then I emailed you back. <laughs> I can always count on those duffs. I was like, let's do it. You. I love the duffies. A good place to start might be everything I've heard about you without having met you. Right. Because you have a rep. Oh, geez. Here we go. You have a rep. Bring it on. And you're, you're a defector. Yeah. Well, you're no longer in the reality TV business, right? Yeah, that's correct. So, which is another reason why I thought it'd be fascinating to get you on the show. Yeah. Because you might not have to be as tight-lipped as other people I have on the show. Oh, I can guarantee I'm not. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Right? You're not pitching anything tomorrow. You no. Don't, you don't have to worry about what's said. That's correct. Uh, so everything I've always heard about you is that you're an amazing showman, one of the best room generals we've seen. And that's a phrase I use when, uh, when it comes to someone who's really good at pitching. Awesome. Um, and I even heard that you were kind of an innovator when it comes to pitching. Is it true that you would put yourself in the sizzle, hosting the sizzle? Yes. So because when that tape would get passed on and upstairs, 
it would just be you pitching all over again as if they yeah. were in the room? Yeah, and listen, it, it was an evolution for sure. It actually started, and I, I do tell the story in the book, which is pretty funny, was Howard Owens when he was at Nat Geo. Who was my last guest. Yeah, but I, I love that. I mean, HT and I go way back. So he gets the job, president of the network. It's, this is a celebration day because I'm going to be kicking some butt, selling him some shows, right? So we get a show in development, do the pilot. Everything's great. I'm expecting it to get picked up. I happen to be in D.C. that day anyways. I'm going to go grab him for lunch, and we're going to celebrate because he's having the green light meeting at the office that morning. Okay. So I show up at Nat Geo. I'm again, I'm thinking celebratory because Howard knows the show inside and out. I sold it directly to him, right? So I go there, his assistant comes out and says, Howard would like you to come join this meeting. And I was like, what meeting is he talking about? Now, if you know Howard, that, that could happen. He could ask you to join a meeting that he didn't know you weren't supposed to be in or that he could think you were somebody else for that moment. It, you know, <laughs> it, crazy things happen around HT. So it's fine. So it wasn't so outrageous yeah. until they opened the door and I walked in and like, and he had said like, hey, I'm having a hell of a time explaining the show in the green light meeting. I, I knew you were downstairs. Why don't you just come and help me explain it? And I was like, what? So I got to sit in on a 30-person green light meeting where we were basically just people picked apart the show on why it didn't work or what they didn't understand. Just your show or was it? Oh, no. Was, was this was going to be everybody's. They many, weren't including me. They weren't including me on the other shows. They were just talking about my show. Right. But, but did you sit through while they discussed other shows? No. So it was they, like, come on just, in. They just brought you in for your portion. Yep. Okay. And which was weird. I mean, you know, you're yeah. never invited to that. It's marketing people. It's That's scheduling. Right. It's, oh, it's yeah. everybody. Yeah. And when I was at TLC, the network, we didn't have green light meetings like that. It wasn't like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So this was my first time being inside a meeting like that with that many people trying to make a decision. It was ridiculous. And everybody had a grumpy opinion about why things (laughs) wouldn't work and what they didn't understand. So I was lucky to be in that room. I was able to back down a couple of things, walk through the pitch again and like get everybody on, on board. I thought Mm -hmm. worked out out I go for the meeting and wait for Howard to finish, right? We got a six-episode order, yay for us. But I remember the terror that I felt of, you know, poor Steve Michaels had a pitch in that meeting and it died. And I could tell you exactly why, because nothing was going to survive that green light meeting. Because mm-hmm. if Howard, who knew the show and is pretty good in a room on his own, yep. couldn't really explain it as clearly as it needed to be to win that room, like what mm-hmm. chance as a producer if you never get in that room again? So yeah. I started to develop the idea of I got to make these pitches exactly prepared so they can just share them. Yeah. And it didn't start with me being in it. It started with me doing a voiceover version of an email with the slides from my deck saying, and remember this and going through the bullet points exactly like I would do in the room. And then it sort of evolved from there because that kind of took off if people like really enjoyed that and they would reply to my email and be like, Oh my God, this is so great. I'm just going to send it up to the, the chain to Keith or whatever. Right? So then we started doing it a little differently where I was in them and it was just like, yes, it was amazingly effective because I'm pitching you the show directly. You can, it's never going to be different. That's awesome. But the truth is, is like people would yell down the hall and be like, oh my God, Brad said another one. Come on, let's watch this one. And they, and they would, it would be a thing. Right. So for, there was a good couple would it, of years would it be there. Like you just in front of like a white screen or whatever. Yeah. We did green screen stuff. I did walk and talk stuff. I did. We did a very, we started making it a thing. Like you made it a sizzle version of what you do in the room. Yes, exactly. And it was identical to what I would do in the room and right. using the graphics. And I mean, I did a whiteboard explainer where I was like, where I literally went to the camera. I was like, okay, we just cracked this show in, in the development office. Like five minutes ago, I want you to see it come to life just the way we did it. We did. So, okay, so you own a restaurant, and then I would do this whiteboard explainer. Oh, that's kind of cool. And it was cool because they would 
they would just be like, hey, Rob, come down and check this out. And then the, the bosses and the bosses would see it, see it exactly how it was supposed to be. Mm. And like, I do we think, sold more shows. But you know what? I, I, well, here's what I love about this is that it does feel like the pitch process does need reinvention. Yeah. And listen, I, I think if you ask, again, as the reputation proceeds, like I always that, – that became my thing pretty quickly. It wasn't just that I was in that pitch thing. It's like, okay, well, now I got to do something else. So we did a yeah. VR pitch. I did live pitches where I had people come in. Like I, I was always trying to elevate. What, what do you mean a live pitch when people Whereas, come in? Whereas like I invited the, the – buyers to a restaurant and we did the pitch live right there in the restaurant oh, like a run through well they didn't even know that that was going to be like that it's okay. like let me show you how this show's gonna work bang yeah. and it was a i think it was one of these pop-up ones that i did but i did a few of those types of things where it was like i was tr- always trying to move the needle i used to walk around with a 36 inch tv that we had specially made for a show like a giant ipad because it's like i'm not going to go into the room and play with your dvd player right. i have it right in front of me and it's a touch screen let me show you and i'd walk people through <laughs> and they'd spend time you know so anyways whatever gave you me brought, the advantage you brought, you brought your own tv because you yeah. didn't want to sit through the thing yeah. we all sit through which is no television network right. ever knows how to get our computers that's right and i could put it and it's, it was a huge <laughs> tv it was like a giant giant ipad like a yeah. huge touch screen right. ipad it's like i don't Battery need your TVs. Yeah. i brought my own tv for and i put it right in front of them and had a cool touch screen display that we had developed for the show and I would drag over the idea and make it big like Minority Report almost kind of thing. Right. And it, like that was my calling card for a little while. But Really, it was just about like there should be there should how be a, do I get noticed? But there should be know? there should be a business though where there's a company you can hire like the Geek Squad from from Best <laughs> exactly. Buy that literally just Travels travel with, with yeah. producers that they can crack any network's AV system. I know in, in the, in so the moment crazy. And they just come with you as part of your team. But you know, here's the funny thing though is that that was a calculated decision to start doing that, but it comes at some cost too, right? Because it's like. It's a little it's a polarizing technique. It's a little corny. It's a little bit like I know that there's like a, like how goofy whatever. Like well, you got to accept that, right? Well, and also, is he making it about him? Yeah, and not about the ideas. Yeah, and that's fine. Right. And I played that line pretty well, where it was mm-hmm. just like, luckily for me, I had already developed the technique of really being core to the idea and not fluffing it in any way with a bunch of other crap like i'm really good about like here's the idea here's how it works here's why we think it's good for you here's how we're gonna make it like i was really good about that so it allowed me to stay out of that sort of like i'm trying to host the show Mm -hmm. it was more like it was it was just different it's like wearing something outrageous like you just people noticed it like i'm my face is in there they're sending it around the halls you know somebody's like what a douchebag like and (laughs) That's hard for a guy like me who's like – I'm super insecure. Are you? I'm, oh, God. Ridiculously insecure. But you put yourself out so much. like you. you oh, that's because I'm a raging narcissist too. So it's like okay. I got both those things coming together, right? So the funny part is – And extremely like, self-aware apparently. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah, you learned the hard way over the years. But wait, wait, it's just been be- tough. Before you know? we go much deeper. Yeah. Um, so the title of your book is what? The Three-Minute Rule. The Three-Minute Rule. So I don't want to get into the book just yet, but – as a way for the audience that doesn't know your career trajectory, yeah, to get to know your career trajectory, how about in three minutes you pitch your backstory of right. what you were in the reality business? Yeah, in three minutes because that's kind of the thesis of the book, right? I was thinking, tell me if I just met you in an elevator and you were like, oh yeah, I used to work in the TV business, and you'd explain that to me in three minutes and yeah. sell what your career was in TV. This might be good for the audience tuning in that may not know who Brand Penvig is. Right? Yeah. Listen, I, I specialized in creating and develop reality TV shows. 
I ran uh, a couple of big companies that did that. And my core element was I'd come up with an idea, I'd craft the concept, and I'd sell them. When I was running three ball, we sold a lot of shows. And like you said, like I got the reputation of being pretty good in the room and being able to sell a lot of stuff. People wanted to hear my pitches. And that was because I had developed a system of making it about the idea of delivering the information. And I found really quickly that people responded to that. So, you know, three ball did some big shows. We did extreme makeover weight loss edition. We did bar rescue. So I had a lot of luck on that side. You know, I got an idea on DB page. that has a few entries in it. That's all great. Um, but I really started to focus on that side of what I was doing. And I wasn't a great producer in the field and nobody really wanted to talk to me about my editing skills or what I was doing in the Bay. Like that was all great. And to be honest, like you don't really want me running your company, uh, unless I'm selling shows for you, then it works pretty good. But if I have to deal with HR or, you know, managing things, not so good. So I just developed this reputation of being able to create and sell shows at a really high level and often, and to basically every network. So and I developed good relationships from that. And it was mostly from letting my information and the concept of the show do a lot of the work. It's ironic that I would get the sort of the personal reputation of being this sort of showman and do that when I always felt like I'm not trying to make myself big and bold in this. So that's really where mm-hmm. the book and the information that I drove to the book sort of started in that space. Where did the TLC run come in? So after I was – I ran GRB for a little while, did development for them – uh, it's a funny story because I got a call from Angela who was the head of the network and said like, John Ferreter says you're the only person I should be talking to you about this job. And I was like, well, John Ferreter's not my agent. She's like, I know. And that's why I have to meet you. And what year is this? Oh man, this is 2006. Okay. Yeah, 2006, 2007. 2006, 2007, you're yeah. at GRB. Yeah. And there's an opening for what position at TLC? Head of development for TLC. For East Coast and West Coast? Yeah, the whole thing. Big... You've never been on the buyer side? No, my God. I've only been in the country for three years. Where are you from? Canada. Oh, you're Canada. Okay. Yeah. You're Canadian. Yeah. So, um, so three years you've been in. Yeah. Producing a GRB. Yep. And the head of development at TLC position opens. Yeah, she was, yeah. And you've never been at a network? Nope. What was your title at GRB at the time? I was the SVP of development. Okay, so you're an SVP of development. Because I went to him like, I don't know, maybe six weeks earlier and said, hey, listen, you need to bump this title so I can be taken more seriously because nobody else is out there working this job. I need to do it. He's like, okay. So you had only been SVP for six weeks. Yeah. And John Ferreter, who you've never met, but never John Ferreter, that's peak John Ferreter. Pre- I mean, head, yeah. peak, top of the food chain, John Ferreter. God, God rest his soul. Yeah, God rest uh, his and soul. we haven't talked about him here on the show. Um, so we, we can maybe, if we have time for that, yeah, get into that a little bit. Um, but John Ferreter, who you've never met, who is just power agent yeah. at the time, probably repping Seacrest all the time. Oh, I mean, yes. Basically right? everybody. Is, has, at it, that is at his peak, yes. He puts in a word for you with Angela at Discovery. I wouldn't say he put in a word. He got me he that job. This, he said this is the only guy. Yep. And she said, and, and he, and she was just like, he's not your agent. I have never seen him ever talk about anybody who's not his client. I must meet with you. There's got to be something there. So, and wow. listen, Angela, that's, off that's how much John Ferreter's words swayed people oh, in that moment. I have lots of those stories of John Ferreter swaying me with his words. But when I sat with him, he's like, I was, I, he was mad because I think it was a Phil Gurren incident or something like that, who was his client. And John's very protective of his clients. And he's like, I, I thought that company was gone. Then all of a sudden I keep hearing the name GRB and GRB this and GRB sold that. And I kept asking, like, who is doing this? And your name keep popping up. And I was like, that's it. I'm getting him out of that company. And so that is crazy. That was his motivation. Yeah. 
And did you, where do you, do you remember where you went to lunch when you finally met up? We were at Morton's, yeah, in Barbara Rick. Was yeah. this after you got the job? Yes. Yeah. So after you got the job, you're like, hey, John, can I take you out to lunch? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Why Morton's in Burbank? I don't remember. Why were you out in Burbank? Because TLC. Because no, I don't remember where I was. I might have been still working at GRB at the time, I think. Or he might, I mean, listen, he'd probably yeah. at lunch at somewhere else and he just, you know. Yeah, he probably made you yeah. just come to him. Well, oh, I remember it like it was yesterday sitting down I, and I had no idea. Oh, hey, John. And I was like, I was a little enamored because he was a big powerhouse, oh, totally. right? Yeah. How old so, were you? Oh, man. When you got that job? This 30, is 13, 13 years ago? Yeah. 33? Yeah. 33, 34, yeah. 33. 33, and you were yep. made the head of development at TLC. Yeah. And it worked out so, so well. <laughs> it was a great run. <laughs> one year of torture Wait, let's for everybody. Get into that. So oh, was that, sure. that was one year? Yeah, one year. How bad of a hire was that for Discovery? I mean, it depends. Like, do you take Angela and I as a, as a team? Then it's bad. Okay. Me on my own, like, it would have been fine. But the truth was, Angela was, she's kind of a genius and I love her, but I wasn't right for her. Mm-hmm. She needed someone that was going to toe the, not toe the line, just do the work from a pragmatic sense and like be her sort of wall to, to let her go do her thing. She did not need a bigger, bolder cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Like I can convince you to do pretty well anything and get you excited about anything. And that is not what she needed. Like I was like, we can take over the world. And she was like, she's not a demure sort of like take it slow kind of woman either. She's like, let's go kick some ass. And I was like, kick some ass. We're going to kick it and own it and eat it and everything. Right? Like, so I was not good for her in that sense. Like programming, did I pick shows? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, but I mean, corporate is corporate. Yes. And, and, I, and I don't think your personality in the uh, no. 17 minutes I've known you, you know, you don't strike yes. me no. as like the most corporate of no, corporate. No, that did not work out. Well, but by the way, like working for someone who was really adept at that world would have been able to rein me in and use my creativity for their advantage, right? Right. Angela and I sort of played off each other and I just – I, it just wasn't right. It wasn't a good fit. You know, it was a great fit for us. We felt like we were having, like uh, we just we bonded you're, you're and it was great. Fan? Yes, you sound a little bit like Magic Johnson being hired as GM of the Lakers. Right. Seems like like Magic was a showman. Yeah, he loves the public facing stuff. Yeah. There's a couple of things he gets really excited about, but he doesn't want to sit through like scheduling meetings right. and corporate stuff and boardrooms yeah. and P and Ls and all that kind of stuff. And if you need someone to tell you no, you can't do that, or no, we should take a step back. Why don't we let this breathe for a little bit? Let's not do so much at this time. Let's try to make the change slower. Yeah. If you need someone to balance you like that, I am not that person. Like. I accelerated all the problems that she was going to have. I amplified them. So Was it an ego stroke, though, as you were sitting there? I asked Howard this question, too, last show. When he made the transition to being a buyer, Yeah, he saw now how everybody else pitches shows. Yeah. Did that help you? I mean, no, because it's like I was nervous about getting the job. I was excited. I realized really quickly that the that – corporation side was probably not going to be where I what, like my future was going to be. So I yeah. still connected to the, it, to the production community. My biggest issue is I wanted to help fix people's shows. Right. So they would come in and pitch a show and then I would help fix it for them. And then one of two things would happen. Like we wouldn't buy it and they'd go take out a better version. We wouldn't buy it. And then they'd be like, why did you tell us all this shit and then not buy it? Right. Like, so there was a lot of stuff that you don't think of. Which is fair. Yeah, when you're just out there, I'm just – anyways. And but, so, but for you as a seller and a, and, a, and a pitcher, like seeing how other people pitch shows, did you have 
were you able to take that away to kind of sharpen your palate? So to yeah, speak? I mean, it, again, it was more like I, I got it, I got it, I got it. like I got the idea. Like, why yeah. are you still talking? <laughs> and by the way, I, I mean, a lot of my clients now. I, that's one of my first phrases. Like, just stop talking. What do you mean, clients? Uh, I do a lot of corporate consulting now, like a lot. Okay. Yeah. In and terms so of, of terms of like coaching, the presentation, clients, presentations, pitching. strategy. Yeah, a lot of that stuff now. So Canada. Yeah, buddy. What what what, what, do you, what were you doing before TV? I mean, I was just a serial failing entrepreneur over and over and over again. And I developed an idea when I was in an, it owned a bar to try to get people to stay there through football because football, the game would play and then everybody just take off mm-hmm. out of the bar, right? And so I tried to develop these fun, goofy games to keep people there. I thought that would make a good TV show for some reason. And I spent all my money and tried to sell it. Couldn't sell it in Canada. Got really lucky. Got a sort of a piece in uh, – in the U.S. to take a meeting, and it went really well. It's a, I mean, it's a crazy story. Barry Katz did it on his podcast, which huh. is still one of his big episodes because it's so goofy. But, yeah, so I, I had no, no television experience whatsoever when I moved to this country, and I got the gig originally at, at this production company. And it was funny because we sold a pilot right away, and I was in Vegas at one of those, uh, you know, where they, they – what are those things called where they have people come in? And they, oh, yeah. Yeah, the focus, focus groups. groups. Yeah. So where they have the focus group. And uh, I'm sitting there with Paul Villadova at the time, who's the president of CMT. And the girl comes in and says, hey, do you guys want to do the slide or the dial test for responses? And Paul looks at me and he goes, I don't know, Brant, you've done this more than me. What do you want to do? And I was like, uh, okay, I like the slide, but they're both pretty good, you know? <laughs> and you're just like, What? And so it took me many years it's to like get... catch me if you can. Where yeah. they look over to Leonardo DiCaprio and he's pretending yeah. to be a doctor. Like, do you yeah. do you concur? Exactly. Yeah. And it's sort of like you know, you it takes a long time to get over imposter syndrome, even when you're really good at stuff mm-hmm. and you have the credibility. So it took me a long time to get over that stuff. And mm-hmm. even my boss Gary Benz at the time, one time when we were having an issue because of my mostly I was being a jackass more than likely. I actually remember it, but yeah, I was being a complete jackass and. He was sort of like, what are you doing? Like, you don't know how to produce television. Yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, right. You're like, no, I don't. He was like, I forgot I don't. Good point, you know? So, but it takes a while till you realize like, oh, wait a second. Like, I guess I learned all that stuff now. Because you came up just being an idea guy. Yeah. And and it was also the time when it was. You come up through production. No. No, I never had a job in the mail room. I didn't even know the mail room was real. Yeah. I never had a, I was never on anybody's desk. Right. I just, you know. You weren't a, a production assistant no, on set. No, no, no. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah, and even today, like, people will assume I have more production, well, maybe not, but they, the more that I have more production skill or experience than I actually do. I got hired to do shows because of me on there, and the network would put it in the, in the deal as I was being a key man for, like, a live show or a game show or something, and it's like, they think I'm like a master at this stuff. I've never worked on a live show my entire life. Why am I being put in here as a key man for it? And they would literally say, well, I was like, Brant's there. It'll be fine, you know? And I was like, okay. But it's like that was also a good product of 3-Ball because they were a production powerhouse at the time, right? right? And That's right. They were known as executors. Yeah. So JD and I as a team was super unstoppable for a while. For, for six or seven years, I mean, we sold – so many shows. Like, it was just... An, like, there was a time we sold 12 out of 13 projects that we took out. Wow. And it was just like... It was just an awesome. We did... I think we did 13 new series in one year one time. And it was just like... So that was really good. And and, and when everybody wants your next thing, like, the, the aura just kind of grows I, from there. And I really, like... 
the three ball guys were pretty adamant about not having me around set and not keeping me in the loop on that kind of stuff. And I had to pretend a lot of times. It was best for everybody involved. Yeah, I think so. I mean, listen, sometimes it worked really well. Sometimes it was a pain in the ass. But But did you care? I mean, did you care to learn that side of it? Or were you Um, just so into the thrill of the sell? Like, did you actually care to then go to set where it's actually quite boring? Once no, you I mean, listen, it? the truth of the matter is I grew up for 30 years in Canada frustrated and not being good at anything. Mm-hmm. And sort of the, the rejection of your potential in Canada is painful for a guy like me. And I just wanted to be good at stuff. And America let me be good and celebrated me for that. And that's why I fell in love with this country and everybody in it. And I remember my ver- – I, I had been in the country for about six months – and I was driving down the 405 in my convertible Sebring and oh my Blackberry was a red Blackberry's messenger at that time. And I was like, oh my God, I have more people that I care about and care about me in six months in this country than I did in 30 years back home. Wow. And I was like, this is where I was meant to be. So yeah, I wanted to do more production stuff in the beginning with Three Well just because I just wanted to be good at stuff. Um, but in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that's what allowed me to sort of sell and create and do all the stuff that I had done was because i was so hyper focused and after three ball is that when you went and signed your massive deal with stx um yes i left three ball yeah right i I just couldn't make a deal to stay there i would have stayed there in theory right but you had people courting you at that point yeah i had people courting me and but it was also like that wasn't the same three ball as it was in the jd days it's it was more of a sort of a corporate thing internationally owned they had sold midstream to run out yeah and so you know, Reinout's idea about where he was going to take it in the future and my idea on how much I was worth and how much I wanted didn't come even close well, there was to no adding up. E- well, there was no equity either there. There was no company equity. So you're creating shows. Yeah. The company's already sold. Yes. So there's no upside for And I had like, I had already left once. Right. I started my own company and then I was like, hey, uh, and then, you know, there was a big issue with the, the, the company and they were like, hey, come on back. And I was like, no way, man. I started my own company. And Ryan, I was like, I buy your company. I was like, you can't buy my company, Ryan. He's like, I can. And then he's like, oh, damn it. He can. So he bought the company back and I came back in. And so I was like, we, and then, then I was going to go again. And they're like, hey, we're going to make you the president and you're going to be the head of the global operation. You're going to spend summers in Amsterdam with for, me. For iWorks. Yeah, because we own 16 other territories. You will be the center. And at the time, to me, that was like Paul Buccieri's job at ITV, right? right. Like, yeah. And that, that had some appeal to me at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll do it right out. And he had me at the Amsterdam, and he's like, we will spend summers here creating formats. And like... I mean, if you've ever met Rhino, the I, guy I, is so ridiculously charming and tall and good looking. Oh and like, yeah. you just, you're like, yes, I will do that. And literally, like a month and a half later, he's like scheduling a phone call for 6 a.m. And you're like, uh oh. Like, that's when the market's open. That's a bad sign. What's happening? We get on the call at 6 a.m. He's like, I have sold the company. And we're like, oh my God, to Warner Brothers. And my first thought is like, <laughs> oh my God, Mike Darnell's my new boss. This is the craziest thing. And then he's like, but I keep the U.S. company for myself. Oh, and I moved to America, right? And we're like, what? And he did. He sold the other 15 territories to Warner Brothers. He kept the thing for himself and he moved to America. And now he was all in and wanted to be in every room. And like, I love the guy. Yeah. He is a, he's an impressive man. He's a joy to be around. I cannot get enough of him, but it just, it wasn't the way that company was designed. And when you have JD and Todd and, J.D. Todd and Rhinout is like, that's never going to work. Mm-hmm. And so it all started to unravel. So for me at the time, it was like, well, I'm creating and selling the shows. We don't have international formats anymore. Like, I think you got to make me a big partner in the company. Otherwise, i got to go do something else. Yeah. Nah, that is, you do not want to do that, Brent. I will, I, will, 
I will think about this and I will get back to you. And then it was just sort of like never got back to you. Well, he it, it was funny because he's like, "Are you planning to be reasonable?" And I was like, "I don't think so." I <laughs> and he's like, "Ah, then I think we will not be doing a deal." And that was it. It wasn't like, "Please stay." There was none of that. There was no chasing. Me. There was none of I, that. So, so among like the rumor mill and like shared friendships you and I have. Yeah. I had heard at post three ball, I had heard that essentially you had signed like a massive deal at STX. Like I was told like, Oh yeah. Like Brant did well for himself. And you went over there, STX big global studio. What was, yeah. what was the job? Was it, was it a production company deal? Yes. Was it like an equity deal? Like yeah. Like own- we were, we were sort of partners in launching my company. Yeah. Right. How yeah. did that go? I mean, they are a new studio. There's lots of growing pains there. Jason Goldberg's there. He's fantastic. It was we, you know, we got Valley the Boom up on Nat Geo. That's big, right. Huge scripted thing. Like one of, I would say, one of the proudest yeah. accomplishments in the top five shows I've ever made. So mm-hmm. that was like a huge thing, and it worked well for them from a scripted television standpoint because it morphed into a fully scripted show. Mar- right. Matt Carnahan wrote it, who's kind of a god, and who created House of Lies. Yeah, for and the Showtime. guy's just a monster, and it, yeah. and it was like. It was just a crazy huge project. So that worked out well. But it was really tough for us because – and for me because it's just like on my own didn't really fit with what I wanted to do. The market changed – was changing quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And it was it was hard. I wrote an f- article in Forbes about the moment when I knew like, uh-oh, this is going to be a problem for me. Is we were working on a show for sci-fi. We were doing this huge competition series for them. It's probably an $8 million budget. Mm. We had gone through 27 passes of the budget, 14 versions of the creative, nine different meetings. Gail Ann Hurd is attached, the woman who, you know, created... Executive producer of Walking Dead. Walking Dead. So she's a monster player. Like, everything is going amazingly well. And when I was looking at the sort of the numbers of my forecast for the year, with this show, I'm like... I'm going to be like a couple million dollars over target. It's <laughs> pretty exciting. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like buy a new boat time kind of stuff. Like yeah. it's exciting. And it made, you know, SDX is excited. Everybody's excited. Right. right. And I'm feeling like, man, I just crushed it. Right. I'm the golden, there was I'm a couple the, I'm, of, I'm the golden boy. Yeah, yeah. And there was a couple of jobs that came my way with like big titles, mm-hmm. high profile, big paychecks. And that was literally like all I did was sign it. And in the last minute I was kind of like, no, these STX guys are, are so aggressive. I got to do it. So it was like, oh, my God, we made it. Like, I, I made the right decision. And then in one phone call, the show went away after all of that. Somebody at finance department in the NBC Universal world just came in and be like, no, we don't want you guys doing any big competition shows anymore. And that was it. It was done. And so you go from $2 million over target to, like, you know, 5 or $6 million under yeah. in one phone call in the, like, this is probably September or July. With no explanation, really. I mean, it, whatever the explanation was, yeah. right? But there's no way to put that num- those numbers back on the board yeah. that late in the year. So I went from, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing, to I'm a failure and a loser, and I can't believe I'm going to miss targets for, I don't, I don't remember ever missing Which has, targets. like, absolutely nothing to do with you. And nothing to do with the show. Yeah. And it was now a corporate decision from the top that the network isn't yeah. doing this stuff anymore. Yeah, but you know what? Like, so that's nothing, a great excuse and all that no, stuff. Yeah, but nothing you could have done differently. And that's really what I had a problem with is that it, none of that changed the fact that those numbers are not coming into the bank accounts of anybody. But the fact is, like, I really couldn't will that to happen. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about it saying I just lost my company's biggest deal. Now what? In the article. And it was sort of like... 
I, it took me two weeks to get over that where I was just absolutely miserable, right? And I needed that time to be miserable for the first time in 15 years where every day, as you know, as a seller, you're like, hey, oh, it's amazing. And somebody doesn't call you back mm-hmm. at the network and they don't, you know, you can't get them on the phone, but then you got to go pitch them. You got to pretend like it didn't happen that you didn't call me back. You know what I mean? Right, and like, right. and that was like so, yeah. that was like so frustrating. And, and you do that every day and then it's like, okay, now I'm miserable. So it allowed me to do that. But I realized like, I can't will things to get on the air anymore. I can't go out with a show and know 100% that it was going to sell. I used to know when a show was going to sell, and I, I would never miss. I might have missed yeah. two or three in my entire career. I probably had six that, that first and second year at STX that I would have bet my life on selling and didn't sell. And it just sucked the joy out of it so much that I was like, okay, I don't know how to make this work for me anymore. Like the target of building this company and selling it in five years. And it's just like, that's not going to work. And like, I, I, you know, I already made some money. So it's kind of like, okay, well, what am I really like? The SDX was deal was great and they were awesome, but it's like, okay, so this is just for the money. Like, Oh, it it was, it was a tough time because I just didn't know where I was going to find that next level of being good at something and succeeding. I felt like a quarterback that had won the Super Bowl for years and had hurt his shoulder and no one really knew and everybody still wants you to play and you're like, I don't think I can play really well anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I started to feel. Wow. I mean, look, I, I appreciate being so open and honest about it and that's really why I wanted you to come on because I wanted to get that perspective of, you know, like I said earlier, you defected the business, you left, um, and I wanted to hear why. But I think it's something that all sellers go through at some point. We yeah. all go – we have very high highs and very low lows. And this business, I feel like, is filled with more lows than highs because you're told yeah. you're told no for the most part. You're told no more often than you're told yes. Yes. Um, and, I, you know, I'll just, I'll just, you know, open up as well. Like I go through these, I have these fleeting moments every, every other week, it seems, where, you know, I'll be sitting in my car, you know, waiting for a pitch meeting to start because I'm in between meetings, you know, some kind of a no man's land sitting in my car waiting for the next meeting to ever. And I get, you know, a phone call that this thing isn't happening or this is, this shows a fire, there's a fire to put out or, you know, this thing fell through and I'll text my wife and I'll be like, you know, you know, I think we just need to move back to Santa Cruz and I'm going to be a high school football coach. Yeah. (laughs) I'll tell you this, Jimmy, like, uh, I cannot tell you how many people have come out to my house in the last six months with like, Hey, I need to have a conversation with you. Can I come out and see you people in our business? Yeah. And I'm like, I live in Santa Clarita. So like, unless I have an, (laughs) unless I have an event or something where I'm putting on my Branty on a grill or something like that for dinner, like people don't usually come out to say hi to me. Like, yeah, I've been like, okay. And I'm talking like two dozen. Yeah. Wow. And it's the same. It's the same story I hear over and over again. Same thing, the idea of side hustle, the idea of exits, the idea of changing things. What's going to happen when this all changes, right? So, right. I, I will let me bring this back up for you a little bit. Yeah, let me tell you something. Your skills that you have developed in this entertainment section of the business are so ridiculously value outside of it. It's it's beyond your comprehension. How is how is, how is that? How, what does that mean? Because I I. And this is this is honest. Like we, I work with certain people, uh, and I'm like, they could only work in 
TV because if they were like this in any other business, I wouldn't let certain people run my lemonade stand, right? But I'm like, yes. these certain people are lucky they work in this business where they can keep going it's along. It's funny because I say that all the time. It's like I know it feels like we, we're in a business of nitwits, but it's high-level nitwits. That's the, pro- <laughs> that's the thing, right? So I'll give you an example. I, I yeah. performed the service at Jordan Harmon's wedding mm-hmm. and lovely ceremony and – uh, if I do say so myself, and I was watching the wedding planner that he had. Um, she's well rena- well renowned wedding planner for New York, and I remember saying to myself, "This woman wouldn't survive as a field producer in our world because they just don't have the same sense of it must be taken care of and it must get done. They don't mm-hmm. have yeah. here's how you produce something." And I had a client that had me up to Vancouver. A uh, big, big public company that does batteries and, and electric motors. Nothing to do with TV. They want me to come in for an assessment on what they can do, how they can move their brand, how they can all, you know, all their messaging, right? And I sat there and I listened to how much money they had spent on their messaging and their brand and listened to all of their the nine people talk about it. And I just remember thinking, like, I can't believe you guys have one goddamn job with one single product and this is what you do all day. Like, I cracked that idea on how to make that message i could have done it in 15 minutes i had to stretch it out to make it feel like two hours but i just walked up to the whiteboard and wrote the whole thing here's how you do it and they were so mesmerized i was like how could you people do this you have one job but if they're a major like national brand how did they not have like a marketing company or an they ad- did they spent one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars on a marketing company and like an ad agency and all yeah that? and the whole thing and it's just like this is not how it like and they were so mired in their own thing wow i, I did the same thing i, I got hired and paid like more money than I probably deserved to work on a biotech company that was working on type one uh, anti-rejection drugs for type one diabetes. Okay. Phase two trials are going. I mean, it's just like so complicated. And as I'm on the plane going to Miami, I realize that the, the head of the company has like a wing of the Miami hospital named after him kind of thing. And I'm thinking to myself, like I'm a reality TV show producer. I'm out over my skis. I'm going to get into this boardroom and they're going to laugh and be like, what on earth just happened? But within 10 minutes, it's like, wait a second. So you're telling me, other than this gene therapy thing you guys do, I'm smarter and better at every other element of this business, like HR, legal. Like I've done all of those things Hmm. at various levels and done five of them at the time. And you think about what you've done. Like you've run six startup businesses at the same time. Do you know who else does that in the real world? Nobody. Hmm. And I see it time and time again. When you open up your eyes for possibilities of what's out there from a creative standpoint, not just in the simple sell reality TV shows to this many networks and a couple of streamers, you just can't believe how valuable your your ability is to produce and deliver. Hmm. And that is the most valuable skill out there. And I see it in businesses across the board. And you never have to worry. So Jimmy, you never have to worry. So this is like – so the two dozen people that have come up to Santa Clarita yeah. to sit with you and kind of tell you they're kind of like in a funk yeah. professionally in the reality TV business. This is basically the gist of what you've told them is that yes. there is life on the other side. Yes. And life is great. Life is great. And you will be fine. Without, without question, I did it like a keynote thing. For- have any defected since? Um, I don't want to get too detailed on some okay. of the people I've you don't have to name con- names. convinced to jump. Yes, I've had a couple of them have made real jumps, which okay. is kind of exciting. But, you know, I did this sort of like keynote speech to Renegade and the E1 guys at their development offsite. And, and there was a lot of that tension about the future of the business and what's going to happen to us. And I was like, 
you guys are going to be great. Like you've statistically been great this entire time. The business has changed many times. You're going to be fine. Like what you're able to do, other people don't do. And oh, like boohoo, you can't do it exactly the way you did six months ago. But you know what? Six months from now, you'll find another way and it will all be fine. Right. And so the idea that people think about their future and they plot this plan through the burning piles of rubble of the future is silly because what you should be doing is looking back. Look at statistically where you've been and what you've been done. Jimmy, your career has been better every single year for the last 10 years at least. Why on earth would you think it might not be better two or three or four years from now? That's silly. That's a waste of space, waste of time in your, in your mind. Like it will be better. You will always figure it out. You will always do well. That's what happens in the real world. Mm. Bad things don't really happen in this kind of business for people who have had a success track record. Mm. If you have had a track record of a disastrous decisions, I know lots of people like that. Guess what's in your future. Right. But the business is going to evolve and it's going to change, but creative high-level people will always find a way. Tell me about the book. So it was really exciting. I just I made the decision that that's what I wanted to do. I, I, had, I had worked with a couple of clients on helping them pitch in their presentations. And one oil and gas company that I worked with, he left this voicemail on my phone. And it was basically in tears saying, you've changed my life. I'll never be the same. I used to hate going on these investor roadshows and pitching what I do. And now I love it. My stock's up and my wife's happy. Like I owe you everything. And I was like, oh my God, no network president has ever (laughs) said anything like that ever in my life. You mean you didn't get people writing in after you produced Splash? I mean, no. And telling you how it changed their lives? Listen, extreme weight loss and and obese did really well for that. And, And Biggest Loser was obviously there's lots of that love around, but it's, it's spread out. Yeah. And there's a lot of other factors, sure, right? Sure, you know sure. what I mean? Whereas this was, I I really did something how for this did guy. They, wait, how did they, would you say a gas and what? Oil, oil and gas company. How did an oil and gas guy find you? Uh, it was an investment banker that I had met sort of randomly and he asked me, hey, can you do, can you teach my clients to do what you do? So you're, you're basically, it's a great story you're Wolf of Wall Streeting them? Like you're giving them like the script for how you sell? Yeah, for how to sell their company, how to present their company. Well, so, so they, here's tell the you, they tell you what they do, yeah, and then you basically say, okay, so here's the pitch. Yeah, well, I can tell you something. You've ne- you probably haven't heard somebody pitch their idea outside of television for a very long time. Right. You'd be you'd be stunned. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Is 18 minutes of death, and <laughs> right? it no, was shocking. Sense. These are not sales. These are not salesmen necessarily. No. These are not creatives. No. Well, you They're- know what happened was, is I was at the Lux Hotel. Uh-huh. I had just had uh, who was it, Sharon? I think it was Sharon Levy had passed on something and I was all sour thinking how this sucks and I can't make it in this world anymore. Like one of those moments, you know, like everything I, you know, I can't believe it. And, um, this guy had seen me yapping and I was pitching a TV show to one of my, I think it was my uncle that was in town and I was pitching in the show why she passed on it. And he was like, Oh my God, that's an amazing idea. And I was like, <laughs> It absolutely is. Like every relative you've ever right. had, would you, would they tell you that's a great idea. And so, you know, then I pitch another show. How about this one? I didn't sell this one either. And, and yeah. everybody's saying, oh, and this one. And then I'm going back through my years of catalogs of great ideas. Yeah. And next thing you know, I got a crowd of like four, five, six, eight, 12 people crowd around listening to my TV ideas. Shut up. I'm not kidding. Come and, on. I, and at the time, I really needed the ego boost. So I was having, I was putting on a show. That's amazing. You know? And this guy after, he was like, hey, can you teach my clients to do what this, you do? Is this in the book? Yes. Because that, that's a great scene. Yeah. That's like a, that's like a scripted, like the first act of a movie. Yeah. This whole, yeah. whole thing, this whole story is in the book. That's so, true? 100%. Okay. 
And I mean, a hundred percent. And he said, can you teach my clients to do what you do? That was his exact words. And I thought, oh my God, no, I cannot show people how to sell reality shows. You know, it's a real job, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's not like something you just do on the side. He's like, no, I mean, can you show my clients to pitch their ideas without putting people to sleep? And I was like, I have no idea. And he's like, you got to come and try this. I do this investor conference, yada, yada. It turns out the conference was in Florida right at the time of nappy. Huh. And so I was like, you know what? I'll come check it out if you want. So I, I literally, like in the middle of nappy, like I, I just rented a car and drove up to, like I think it was at Club Med or something like that. And it was a huge investor conference with all these public companies pitching all these institutional investors and be like, here's what my company does. And they're small cap companies, which means they're one of the 6,000 companies out there that you've never heard their name of. Like, right. you know, Apple, you know, they're signed, but you've never heard of these companies. And they, they can make money. They can sell great products. They can have quarter over quarter earnings and nobody's heard of them. And so they, their stock doesn't do anything. So they right. go on the road and they tell their story and hope that you or your family office buys it. Right. So I sit through this guy's presentation. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. And I was like, Oh my God, I have no idea what your company does or why anybody be interested. So I, I went through it again and I gave him some suggestions and it, and he was, I think he pitched nine times that weekend or during the week, two days. And it actually got better. His pitch did get better. And he was starting out, he started to start out with like, you know, we can still drill for oil if it goes down to $32 a barrel as opposed to everybody else dying at 37, some sort of thing where it was like actually interesting. And after he's like, you have to come help me redo this entire presentation. And I was like, uh, okay. Uh, I got to like, you don't have a career, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm just like, okay, whatever. And so he came into LA and I spent the weekend with him and do that. And I remember asking the guy, like, I don't know what the, what should I charge him? And he's like, I don't know, charge him a ton, charge him 15,000 bucks. I was like, oh my <laughs> God. Like, Okay, I guess. Like, that seems like a lot for, like, what I could do in about 15 yeah. minutes. That's said, paper development. Yeah, exactly, right? So I, he called up his head. Well, and I said, that's not paper development. That's a pilot. Yeah, exactly. It's a full pilot <laughs> that's today. A pilot, that's a pilot. And so he said, like, yeah, will you come? And I said, yeah, it's uh, $15,000. And he's like, okay, great. And I was like, okay. And, again, I fixed his presentation. His stock went up. I can't even tell you where it is now. It's ridiculous. So is the plan – so you have these clients. Yeah. You've got the book coming out, which is how to sell your – your project or your company or whatever it is in three minutes. Yeah, how to convey effective. everything of value about your business, product, or service clearly and concisely in three minutes or less. Three minutes. And then I show you how to use kind of like Hollywood storytelling techniques to lead your audience so they find the same the conclusion you want. To grip them. Yeah. Right. And, it, and it's it, – I, what I noticed was as I was working with high, high-level corporate clients, but I worked with a construction guy. He was a con- plumbing contractor, and I was using the same structure. Same way I would break out a TV show. Mm. Same way I would do any idea. I just start with the basic ideas. I bullet point it out. I put them in order. And so that's when I realized, like, you know what? This is what I really want to do. And I said, I'm, I'm going to write a book. And Who, things went well from there. Who's the publisher? Uh, Random House. Yeah, maybe you've heard of them. Yeah, so that worked out well. Yeah. That's a big deal, Bram Pavinic. Um, You know what? It was one of the more exciting moments of my life, I have to say. Because I, I, I worked with this, this, this tiny like amazing book agent, but on her own, does her own thing, not affiliated with any other agency. And I said, I want to write a book. She helped me do the book proposal, which is the core of writing a book. You got to make a kick-ass book proposal. But again, it's like paper development. Like right. I delivered like pilot. Deck. Yeah. I, I delivered pilot Bibles and stuff yeah. that I had worked just as hard on. So like I was good at that. Yeah. And then all the, all four major publishers wanted to meet in New York. And the irony is like, I didn't tell my agency, like I'm with, 
WME and Sean Perry and he been I have friends for however long, but I didn't tell him I want to write a book because you could just see that. Yeah. Oh, my, hey, hey guys, my reality client wants to write a book. Will you take a meeting? Right. Which, by the way, he would do. They're also they're not going to be putting in as much effort for right. you. And if I just they, felt if, bad if like, they don't think your heart is in this right. the business. Yeah. They're not going to be like slaving to sell your. Well, shows. I just didn't want to put him in that position because yeah. he would do that for me, and like they would take a meeting, and like I, it would just I just knew it wouldn't go well. So. Yeah. I was just riding – I was just going for the ride, right? And so they're like, hey, the publishers want to meet. And in my world, I'm like, well, so what? Everybody wants to meet. Yeah. In their world, it's like, hey, we've read it. We only care about what's written here. We want to meet because we're serious. So the, 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 the agent's trying to explain it to me. I was like, fine. So I go to New York. And she gets in this whole mode of like, now listen, I know you don't be nervous. Like, it's going to be like, I know they're big meetings, but like, don't get overwhelmed by this. And, and you're like, like, you've read the – I was like, my stuff, uh, right? like, this is what I do for a living. Like, yeah. don't worry about that. Like. I do big level, like high level meetings in New York ideas. I, I can figure that out. Right. And what I didn't realize is that the, the publishers aren't used to that. Oh, they're used to authory people and whatever, right? Bookworms. So yeah. So if you're writing a book about how to make a great pitch or presentation, like you better have your shit together. <laughs> and I tore those rooms apart. I mean, it was just such a great experience and it was just so, and I know the material so well. How different was that room from TV rooms? Oh, it was like 180 degrees. It was like they were warm. They were warm and excited yeah. and just blown away. And they hadn't heard it a million times. And it, they were just so excited. And the the Random House guy had wrote me a a letter. I'm not not an email, an actual physical letter, and said like, "Hey, Random House really likes you. I know you're getting other offers, but you should be with us. We do, you know we do this oh, stuff." And man, I was like, so "What cool. is happening?" And my agent said, oh, my God, you're going to get offers on this. And I was like, offers for what? And she's like, to, to write the book. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, book advance. And I was like, somebody's going to pay me to write this book? I thought we were meeting to be like, hey, if I write this, will you publish it, right? And she's like, no, no, you're getting offers. And I was just like, this, this can't be real. And it was like she sent an email out. This is the craziest story. She sent an email out saying, I know you love my client. He's amazing. Here are the terms of the offers we're willing to accept. Like, put these in. No no precursor offers, please. No preemptive offers. We're taking offers Tuesday at 10 a.m. And she CC'd all the publishers. <gasps> and that's what I said. <gasps> oh, my God. So I called. She put all the buyers yes. on the same email chain? So I called that's Wendy. such a flex. I, and I just was like, oh, my God, Wendy. You, Can you imagine, by the way, <laughs> if, if, no. like, if, like, Sean Perry at the I time know. is like, let put everybody on the I same know. chain. Put Netflix and Amazon oh and HBO God. and Showtime all on the same chain. Oh, my God. It's like, we will be accepting your offers at 5 o'clock. Could you even imagine? So I thought she did it by mistake, right? Like, so I said, I called her, oh, yeah. my God, Wendy, you're not going to believe this, but you CC'd everybody. She's like, uh, listen, there's only four of the publishers in existence anymore. They all know each other. This is all public. This is all oh public God. record anyway. It's not going to matter. That's they're serious. in or they're out. There's no – we don't play games here. That's I was so like, different. are you kidding? And Tuesday at 10.01, she called and I had three offers. Wow. And so I, I – it was so weird because like as a guy who had been an expert at stuff for a while, to be so in the dark and like not know what to do. And I finally said like I can't take this, Wendy. Like just go do your – because I, I did what everybody else had wanted to do. Just take the offer. Take the offer, right? And like how many agents was – just let me do it. Let me do it. And she's just like, let me do it. Let me do it. I'm like, I need a book deal. Like mm-hmm. I already quit my job. Like you right. know what I mean? And I was just like, okay, don't call me back until you close a deal. You can close it for whatever you want. Do whatever you want. I trust you. Yeah. I, I like – I don't even know if I was like trust her. I just, I, I just can't do it. Like emotionally, I just You couldn't. just wanted to be over. Yeah. Like I had not felt that kind of 
burning need and desire for something to happen like that since like maybe my second year in the country. So it was like, mm. it was overwhelming. It was awkward. It was difficult. And I just like, I can't take it emotionally. Like, I'm too fragile anyways in my best days. So I sat there in my office, like laying across my little Tony Robbins jumping trampoline, just waiting. And at 10 23, the phone rang and she's like, congratulations, you have a book deal. And it was like, it was that moment where you're like, your night life is never going to be the same. And the book comes out when? October 29th. So as we're recording right now, it's today's October 1st. Yeah. This will probably be out. This is, second by the week way, in October. This yeah. is, October 1st is day one of the pre-launch campaign. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So many of you will know you've Congrats. got to. Yeah. So there's big, a whole bunch of people listening to this now saying, oh, that's why I got that email from Brad begging him to buy my oh, I'm my catching book. you on a big day. Yeah, it's a big day. It's crazy. It's just been, and there was it's, a real moment. Uh, along the way where I was, cause you got to remember, okay, I sold the books. I sell lots of stuff. Okay. So I sold the book. I don't really, it's a business book. I don't really run businesses. I mean, I sell shows. Yeah. I don't really run businesses. It's a sales book. Yeah. And it's like, but I also don't write books and I don't really read books. So, so there's a little apprehension about that. Right. And so there's, so the, for the next little bit, I, you know, I'm not so much in TV stuff. I'm still doing lots of fun stuff. I like TV, but I'm trying to get this book written. And I'm so ner- and, I, and I'm so nervous about that, and the publisher treats me like talent, which is the weirdest experience ever. And for everybody out there, now I know why talent turns into a nut, and they turn into be like impossible. Because if you get treated like this, you can't help it. Like you, yeah. you you're, feel like a you're used hero. to getting everything you want, right? Yeah. And and they sent the first round of notes, and the way it works is you do. You write two chapters, then you send them in. So that's basically like your first cut of your pilot. And then they share it internally and they decide, okay, do we need to readjust you a little bit? Should you keep going? Should you rewrite this? Mm -hmm. Should we have a meeting? Like, what should we do, right? And so the goal was you send them the first two chapters and they like it. They say, like, keep going, keep going. You're on the right path. We'll deal with these. So he emailed back almost right away. Say, hey, I scanned it. Really good. You're on the right direction. Keep going. I'll send you some notes, but don't worry about them until you're done. Like, let's just get through, right? Okay, cool. Two weeks later, he sends, okay, here's my detailed notes on chapters one and two. I don't think you should go do them now. I think you should mm-hmm. keep going. You're on a good vibe. Okay, great. Well, I'm like, okay, fine. Then 10 minutes later, he emails again and says, hey, uh, I don't know that my notes like conveyed the fact that like we are really happy with where this is. So I don't want you to read them and think that we're not happy or we don't think you're doing a good job. Like we really do. I just – I think my notes might not have said that. So then I'm like, oh, crap. Like what did he write? So I pull the car over. I get my phone on, on like hotspot, pull up my laptop, and I pull these notes up, and they are like – um, perhaps the audience might want to hear this earlier. Ooh, what a great point this is. I wonder if we can shorten this. Like, <laughs> they're the softest, most beautifully kind notes. And I sent him this note saying, just so you know, the first note we got on Bar Rescue was, this is the worst piece of shit we've ever seen. Do you even know how to make television? I was like, so I'm fine. You, you should have let off with that, by the yeah. way. Yeah, that, exactly. that, 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 that would have been a good anecdote to have in the yeah. first three minutes of this podcast. Yeah, That's exactly. Like, That's that, is that true? 100%. Yes. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it's the moral of the story right there. All right, so before we wrap up, uh, is the plan now for you to take this on the road? Yeah, like, Are you going to go do, like, seminars? Yeah, I do, and I do a lot of speaking now, so I get yeah. booked to do keynote speeches, and I do quite a bit of that now. Yeah. Um, and I coach some high-level executives on sort of strategies. So you do, you do private and, coaching, yeah. and then you'll do, like, more mass, like, seminar stuff yeah. that people want to come, like, Yeah, and I do a lot of training. And, and then you get booked I, for, like, private speaking engagements yeah. as well for, like, yeah. you know, companies and whatnot. Yeah, and that's been sort of sort of the the core of what i've been doing over the last bit here and it's been been really good and, and you know like is what i say when you have your antenna up for opportunity you have no idea how much opportunity is out there 
Mm. The fact is, if you're in this business, you have a very myopic look at what your next moves are going to be. So for that, so for that producer, network executive, disgruntled creative that is listening right now in their yeah. car or listening uh, on the treadmill yeah. or what have you right now, what's the final thing you want to say to them before we say goodbye? For the next six months, write down every time you meet somebody that's different. And then in six months, you'll have a list of 50, 60, 100 people of all different industries in all different areas that would love to work with you on stuff. And if you think about your last six months or the last year, the people that you've met and the people you could be interacting with that aren't in this world directly, like the world is your oyster out there. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to be great for you. It, it just is. That's the way it works. Thanks for doing this, man. Dude, I love it. And my book is at 3minuterule.com. Or brantpinvitic.com or anywhere. You guys can figure out how to get it. Amazon. Hopefully by the time you get there, it'll be an Amazon bestseller in pre-order. Good luck on the launch, man. Oh, boy. Nervous as hell. Thanks, man. Oh, you got it, buddy.